For the scripture says, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. For there is no difference between the Jew and the Greek, for the same Lord over all is rich unto all that call upon him. For whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. I want to talk to you tonight on the, for just a few minutes on this title, God Wants to Hear Your Voice. God wants to hear your voice. How hard is it to be saved? Well, Paul said that it is nigh you. Everybody say it's near me tonight. And salvation, the Apostle Paul said, it's not way up there in heaven that you got to strive and attain for it. And it's not way, way out there beyond the sea that you should have to have a lot of money to try and find a sailboat to sail out there and strive for it and, you know, be, become an explorer. Although that might be fun. But salvation is not unattainable. It is near you. Not only is it near you, but it's no farther away from the best person on the earth that is not saved than it is from what we would consider the worst person. Salvation has been brought down. And it is near every sinner who will call on the name of the Lord in faith. Every sinner. It's near. You don't have to beg for it. You don't have to pay for it. It's already paid for You can't pay enough money for this. You don't have to have any special skill. You don't have to have a high IQ. You don't even have to have a low IQ. You don't even have to be average. Everybody say, thank God. (laughs) You don't have to be good enough because here's why. Everybody has sinned. You know, the law put us all in the same boat. The law of Moses said, I'm just going to count you all, y'all. All y'all, <laughs> all y'all are sinners. Paul said, I reckon all y'all are sinners. How's that for a little Southern hospitality, a little Southern slang? All y'all are sinners. But he said, if you will confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved because salvation is near you. Salvation involves A confession, Paul said. He said it's in your mouth and it is in your heart. And the confession is this, that Jesus is Lord. Now, you might say, well, that's easy to say. A lot of people have said Jesus is Lord. But not everybody that says Lord, Lord will enter into the kingdom of God. Jesus said that. Many will come in my name. And they will say, we did great deeds in your name. We did this and we did that. And Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. I confess Jesus is Lord. But they never had that. But the Greek word for Lord there is equivalent to the Hebrew word for Jehovah. So salvation involves a confession that Jesus is Lord or Jehovah and a belief. That God, a belief from the heart that God raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus is Lord. The meaning is that he is Lord over my life. And that he is the mighty God. He is Jehovah. It is a submission and a confession. It is a confession that is made by the Spirit of God. Look at what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. 
Wherefore I give you to understand that no man speaking by the Spirit of God calls Jesus accursed. And that no man can say that Jesus is Lord, but by what? The Holy Ghost. If you were, if you were accused of being a Christian in first century Rome, the emperor would burn you at the stake or feed you to the lions unless you spoke these words. Jesus is anathema. And anathema is Greek and it means cursed. So Paul said, nobody speaking by the spirit of God is going to call Jesus accursed because you have already confessed him from your heart. And what you confessed, you should not ever deny that he is Lord. And, of course, if you were to say that, then you would be spared from the lions. And in the same vein, nobody can say Jesus is Lord, but by the Holy Ghost. The Greek actually says, like literally the Greek says, nobody can say that Jesus is Lord, but in, in the Holy Ghost. So anathema means a gift given to a deity and rejected. So Jesus' anathema would mean Jesus was rejected by God and therefore not the true substitutionary and sacrificial sacrifice for sin. So to say that Jesus was anathema means that Jesus was no acceptable sacrifice to God. That his death on the cross meant absolutely nothing. That, there, that, that, that in effect, the work of the cross was not a work at all. It was, he was just another man that died. And so in the same vein, Paul said, you can't say that by the Spirit of God, but you can't adequately say Jesus is Lord unless you're in the Holy Ghost. This is what Dr. Marvin Therese writes in his book, The Literal Word on 1 Corinthians 12. He says, Paul was saying, this is a, he was writing about this text in 1 Corinthians 12 3. Paul was saying that no one can say while speaking in the spirit that Jesus was an unacceptable gift. But neither does he really know whether he was an acceptable sacrifice unless he has the spirit of God. A person does not really know whether the substitutionary death of Christ was efficacious for man's salvation without the confirmation of the Holy Ghost. Unless one has been through the process of salvation's plan and received the Spirit, he cannot say because he does not really know whether Jesus is truly Lord. In other words, you need the baptism of the Holy Ghost to know that Jesus is really Lord. Now, you can say it all you want, but you don't have it by experience until you've felt that redeeming blood cleanse your mind and your soul. Amen. You need to experience him, he said, in the fullness of his spirit to really know that he is Lord of your life. You need to know the joy of having your sins washed away in his name. You need to know the joy of repentance 
and feel those salty tears come down your cheeks and your hands lifted up and speaking in other tongues as the Spirit gives the utter. And the joy that comes with that and the peace that comes with that, that's what he's saying. Nobody can say that Jesus is Lord unless they're in the Spirit of God. Nobody knows whether he's Lord or not. The Holy Spirit testifies of these things in our hearts when we receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost and are baptized in Jesus' name. Now, if you were to, to survey, I don't know, 100 people you know, at, at random in this city, in Liberty tonight, and you were to say, is Jesus Lord? Probably most of them, I would imagine, would say, why, sure, of course. But unless they've had the baptism of the Holy Ghost and have had their sins washed away, they don't know it by experience. They only know it by head knowledge. And this is what Paul is saying. Nobody can truly say, he said truly say, that Jesus is Lord unless you're in the Holy Ghost and the Holy Ghost is inside of you because you know the joy that comes from being filled with his spirit. Amen. John 15 and verse 26, he said this, but when the comforter has come, that's the Holy Spirit, whom I will send unto you from the Father, even the Spirit of truth, which proceeded from the Father, he shall testify of me. Now, what does the Holy Spirit testify of? Well, according to Jesus, the Holy Spirit testifies of Jesus himself. Specifically, what does the Holy Spirit testify of Jesus about? That he is Lord. Remember, he sang that song, he is Lord. He is Lord, he is risen from the dead, and he is Lord. Remember that old song? When we sing that, I don't know how many times in youth conventions and youth camps, and oh, it's so moving. Just get the tears flowing. You raise your hands and you feel the Spirit of God, and you feel that burden just you know, kind of lift off you, and you know then that he's Lord of everything because the Master is in the house. So you know that he is the final sacrifice for sin. That there is joy in the presence of the Lord that your sins have been forgiven. You need the baptism of the Holy Ghost to have the Spirit testify of these things in your life. Because you can't know that he's Lord without the Holy Ghost. Look at what Isaiah chapter 26 and verse 13 said. Isaiah said, O Lord our God, other lords beside thee have had dominion over us. But by thee only will we make mention of thy name. You know, Isaiah was, was writing and looking down prophetically through time and seeing how Israel would be in captivity for a very long time. And in that, in that captive state in Babylon, other gods would have dominion over them because the Babylonians served their own gods. And so, so in a sense... They were feeling the weight of those other gods rule over them. The gods of their captors. But through the grace and kindness of God, he brought them back into their land. And now they would only make mention of his name, his name, and not the gods they were previously subjected to. You know, I thank God that we also were previously subjected to other gods, other devils. In one place, Paul talked about, you know, the worshiping, of, of, of uh, fallen angels and, and Greek mythological you know, nonsense and stuff. And he was saying, all those, you know, they think that they're sacrificing to idols, but they're sacrificing to the gods of this world. 
they're sacrificing to demons. And so they served God, they served their gods, so did we. Before we came to the Lord, we served, we had demonic influences in our life. You might say, well, I was a good person. You might have been a good person, but you had some demonic influence in your life in one way or another before you came to the knowledge of God. But whenever you came to the Lord, you switched your lordship over. And they no longer became your Lord. Instead, when God filled you with his spirit, then you knew by the Holy Ghost that he is Lord in your life because he stepped into your life like he stepped out of the bow of that ship and said, peace be still, and showed that he is Lord. Amen. So it's a confession. It's the Spirit testifying that we are the sons of God. It's really important to understand here tonight that without the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you cannot be saved. And I've, I've said it before, even practically, it's impossible. Do I need the Holy Ghost to get to heaven? I've said it before, you, you need the Holy Ghost to go to Walmart these days. <laughs> or school or work. Or get out of bed. I've got, I've got proof for that. Look at Romans 8 and verse 16. The Spirit itself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. When does the Spirit, or to what does the Spirit bear witness to? That we are the children of God. And of children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if so be that we suffer with him, that we may be also glorified together. You know, you could ask, you know, anybody at random, that, that even people that are non-apostolic, do you believe the baptism of the Holy Ghost is part of salvation? Every one of them will say yes. The only argument is, when does the baptism of the Spirit come? Does it come at repentance? Does it come at water baptism? Does it come in, or in some other experience? And so we know that, and I'll get to this in just a little bit, when the Spirit comes, it will testify. And what it's testifying is that He is Lord in our life. Look at Romans chapter 8 and verse 9. But you are not in the flesh, but in the Spirit of so be that the Spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. It's about as plain as you can get it, isn't it? Paul was a plain preacher. That's what we need. We need plain preachers. Amen. 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. Again, Paul wrote, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, whether bond or free, we have all been made to drink into one Spirit. How are we baptized into the body of Christ according to this verse? By or through or in one Spirit. You cannot be a son or a daughter of God without the witness of the Spirit. You are not in the body of Christ without that witness of the Spirit in your life. The baptism of the Holy Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ. That ought to end the whole argument right there. That the baptism of the Spirit places us into his body. And therefore, it is part of God's salvation. It's where we experience that Jesus is Lord firsthand and experience the kingdom of God. It's like a blind man who gets his eyes open for the first time and sees and experiences a whole new world. How do you describe to a blind man who's never seen before what the color red or blue or purple or green is? 
How would you describe Sister Jackie's dress tonight? It's green. To a blind man, it's really bright. It's really green. How do you say, it looks nice. Bright and green. How do you describe that to a blind man who's never seen before? How do you describe what the Spirit of God feels like to somebody that's never never felt the Spirit of God? You have to taste and see that the Lord is good. You don't have to explain it. You can just show them and pray them through to the Holy Ghost. And then they can know that he is Lord by experience. And that's what Paul was talking about. It's a small taste of what heaven will be like. The Holy Ghost, the baptism of the Spirit in our life, is a small taste of what heaven is going to be like. Heaven, to me, is not so much sights and sounds, but it's his presence. That will be so, so, so incredible and so peaceful. And so comforting. If the Spirit of God is, is comfort here, if it can comfort this body, then when we're without the constraints of this earthly body and, and, and whatever happens when we go, whenever we die, if we get a new body, if we wait until then, or if our spirits go right to be with the Lord right then, which is what I think happens. But in whatever state that we are, it is an incredible experience to be in the presence of God. Paul said, to be, I, I desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. So it's God's, it's a taste of the powers of the world to come. Look at Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 5. He said, for it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and were made partakers of the Holy Ghost and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of of the world to come. The world here means ages. Paul is referencing that there's other ages that are coming besides just the Gentile age, but there's going to be other ages. I I assume that he meant there's going to be like a millennial reign of Christ and all these things are going to happen about eschatology and prophecy and things that we've heard about. So he was saying that the Holy Ghost is a taste of the powers of the world that is yet to come. If you want to know what heaven feels like, the closest you will ever get to it is not seeing one of the greatest sights on earth visually, but getting in the presence of God. That's as close as you'll ever get here on this earth because that's what heaven is going to be like. It's God's down payment on our inheritance in heaven. Ephesians 1 and verse 13, Paul says this again, in whom you also trusted. After that, you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom after you believed, you were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance unto the redemption of the purchased possession unto the praise of his glory. So the baptism of the Holy Ghost is, is, that, is that earnest money. It's God saying, I'm going to show you heaven is real and that there's something beyond this life so I am going to give you a little taste of what's to come. You ever had appetizers? Like it's, it, it's kind of like Thanksgiving. And when the turkey's done and you sneak into the kitchen, nobody's looking. What do you do to that turkey? Get a little bite of it. It's always best right out of the oven. Buttery and warm and still simmering in its juices. Brown on the outside. Man, I'm getting hungry talking about turkey. 
You just cut off a little piece. Hopefully the cook doesn't see it. In my case, it's usually my wife. Taste and see, he said. So you want to know heaven's real. So here's the Holy Ghost. I'm going to fill you with my spirit. And right now, it's just a little portion of what is, of, of what is coming. But the meal one day is, is going to come. And we're going to sit down at the supper table. And we're going to not just taste a little bit, but we're going to have the whole meal. And the presence of God is going to be overwhelming us so much that this body will not even be able to contain it. And that's, that's what the Holy Ghost really is. The baptism of the Holy Ghost allows us to be in and experience the kingdom of God. The baptism of the Holy Ghost, in fact, is the kingdom of God. Remember when, when the Jews in Jesus' day were, were talking about the kingdom, when they were looking for the kingdom, when Jesus said the kingdom of God is not here or there, but it's within you. He was saying, don't look for the kingdom of God in some future point, or it was in the future at that point, but he was saying, don't look for the kingdom over here or over there. It's not a natural kingdom. The kingdom of God will be inside of you. Romans 14, he said this, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. The kingdom of God isn't just something we experience when we get to heaven, but it's right now. It's right here. It's nigh unto you, just like Paul said. It's in your mouth. You can have it in the car, and you can have it riding your bicycle. You can have it walking down the bicycle trail or the walking trail. You can have it in the gym. You can have it at midnight hour when you're, uh, whenever you can't sleep. You can have the kingdom of God anytime. You can call on his name because it's near you. It's nigh unto you. It's in your mouth. Jesus said we have to be born into the kingdom of God. From, from John chapter 3, verse 5, you know this passage. Jesus said, Verily I say unto you, Nicodemus, except a man be born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Do not marvel that I said unto you, you must be born again. And then he said this, the wind blows where it wants. And you hear the sound, but you cannot tell where it comes and where it goes. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. Jesus said, being born of the Spirit is like the wind. That was a play on words, at least in the Greek, since Spirit and wind are the exact same word in the Greek. He said, the wind blows and you hear a sound. Being born of the Spirit is just like that. When you are born of the Spirit, you'll make a sound just like the wind makes a sound. And Paul said in Romans that he called it the Spirit testifying that we are the sons of God. And it's testifying not just to the fact that we are now the sons of God, but it's testifying to the fact that he is Lord. It's showing us by experience that he is Lord. It's like, it's like a baby being born. And whenever that baby comes out of the birth canal and, and it makes a sound when air fills its lungs and it cries. And the mother and the father and the doctor and the nurse all know that that baby is healthy and that it is alive because it is crying. It is making a sound for, for what, for nine months it's had amniotic uh, fluid uh, in, in, inside of its lungs 
that developed at some point inside the womb and that amniotic fluid empties out and now it's filled with air and that baby's crying because it's got air in its lungs for the very first time and it's experiencing something it has never experienced before. You don't have to cry when you get the Holy Ghost, but a lot of people do. And it's not bad tears. They're good tears. They're happy tears. They're tears knowing my sins have been washed away. It's one thing to believe your sins have been washed away by faith, but it's another thing entirely to feel it and experience it and know the difference. And not just going down to uh, uh, some phenomenal church and shaking the preacher's hand and, and repeating a prayer, but, but having an apostolic preacher lay hands on you and, and, and pray you through to the Holy Ghost and know for a fact that he is Lord in your life. Because now you know the difference. So it's nigh unto you. And it's like a baby that's being born. That baby... Uh, So when the Spirit fills our lungs, we also make a sound because our spiritual man, which is previously dead, is now alive. When God told Adam in the garden, the day that you sin, you will surely die. Now, in the process of time, Adam did die. But that was many, many, many years later. Physical death. But there was a spiritual death that happened on that day. There was a disconnection from God. Whenever God created man, he formed him from the dust of the earth. The Bible says he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. That breath of God is what created the soul and the spirit inside of Adam. And that's what made him come alive. And because it came from God, Adam was connected directly to God in the same way we are today, through the Holy Spirit. But when sin entered... Adam no longer looked at God as his master. And so that connection was disabled. It was disconnected, if you will. And there was a spiritual death that happened. And Adam, who knew the glory of God, walking with God in the garden in the cool of the day, now was thrust outside of the garden in a hostile environment. His wife was cursed, he was cursed, and the earth was cursed. It was a hostile environment. And you can read about that in the book of Genesis. And, but God made Adam and Eve a promise. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. The woman is going to give birth to a Messiah that's going to redeem mankind. And the, the remedy for sin, sorry, the, the penalty for sin was the same as the remedy for sin. What was the penalty for sin? In the day that you eat, you will die. But through death... We received life. Through his death, we received life. Through his death, we, we, don't just, we didn't just receive life, but we are alive in Christ. And death has no dominion over us. Death has been conquered. Amen. And so we are connected to God again through the Holy Spirit. And look at the disciples of Jesus In Acts chapter 1 and verse 8, he said, But you shall receive power. Everybody say power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. You shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. Some people teach that in John 20 when he blew on them and said, Receive you the Holy Ghost, that that's when they received it. However, he's referencing that they would receive power here in this passage after that happened. 
when you receive the Holy Ghost, you will receive power. So did they have the Holy Ghost then? Absolutely not. Now they had faith, and that's where a lot of people are at, a lot of good people. They have, they have faith, but they've, they've been told that the baptism of the Holy Ghost is not for us today. But it is for us today. The door is never closed. It never says anywhere in the scriptures that the baptism of the Holy Spirit or speaking with tongues was just for the first century believers. If, it's, if they had it, we can have it as well because he is the same God. So he said, you receive power. Also, all the disciples were powerless until they received the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Yes, they performed some miracles while Jesus was physically present on the earth. In fact, you can read that in, in, in the book of Luke chapter 10. He sent them out as wolves in the midst of, of sorry, sheep in the, in the midst of wolves. And they went everywhere that they went. They laid hands on the sick and sick recovered and they casted out devils and they did all these things. And the 70 returned to the Lord with great joy. However, Jesus is saying here, you're powerless until you get the Holy Ghost. Powerless in what sense? Powerless to live a holy life first. But also powerless because once he's inside of you, the power that's going to fill you is going to make that look like nothing. Because there is a power that even conquers death. And that is the power of the Holy Ghost. And Jesus said, after the Holy Ghost has come on you, you're going to do greater things. Greater things than you've ever done before. Look at what he said again in John chapter 14 and verse 12. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me, the works that I do shall he do also, and greater works than these shall he do. Because I go unto my Father. Greater works than these shall he do. Jesus promised after I ascend, I'm going to send the comforter unto you and you'll do greater things once the promise of the Father comes to you. Amen. And so that was what he was referencing. And lastly, speaking in tongues is the evidence that you've been baptized into the Holy Spirit. From Acts chapter 2, in verse 2, And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Again, play on words. Wind and spirit, same word. And it filled all the house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them cloven tongues or divided tongues like as of fire. And it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. When were they filled with the Holy Ghost? When they spoke with tongues. And began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. What was the sign that God gave that first infilling of the Holy Ghost. It was fire that sat and rested upon each of them. That's no coincidence that it was a physical manifestation of the Spirit of God because it's referencing back to Israel's journey in the wilderness. Do you remember what followed them around by night? A pillar of fire. The same pillar of fire that was over the camp of Israel that symbolized God himself is present in this place and is among us. Now was, is being symbolized by the same pillar of fire or cloven tongues like fire symbolizing God is not just among us, but he is in us. Christ in us, the hope of glory. Amen. And they spoke with other tongues. It was a supernatural infilling. If we could do something 
if, if it was anything other than speaking with tongues, if it was, well, the Holy Ghost to make you stand on your head and count to 10, well, anybody could do that. Well, I don't, I don't know if I could do it, actually. I could try. <laughs> I may do it 20 years ago. I don't know if I can do it now. Some of you could probably do it. But if the Holy Ghost made us do something natural, it would be easy then. And it would be something that we could do and we, we could take credit for it. But when you speak in another language that you've never learned before, then you know that it's God. That's a miracle. It's God filling you with his Holy Spirit. So it came through tongues. This is where the church was also birthed you realize that the church was not birthed until Acts chapter 2. Peter called it the beginning in Acts chapter 10. Remember when he, said, he spoke to the Gentiles at the end of Acts 10? And he said, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. When was he talking about? The first infilling in Acts chapter 2. Well, everybody here before? No, they were under the law. The law ended at Calvary. There was this overlapping period for, what, about 40 days when Jesus was on the earth. But he said the Holy Ghost is coming. The promise of the Father is coming. The Father promised us the Holy Spirit. You can read that from Isaiah chapter 28. He said it was stammering lips and another tongue. Well, I speak to this people to whom he said this is the rest or the comforter that can cause the weary to rest. And Jesus looked at those Jews uh, at the end of his sermon on the mount or, you know, or at least towards the end, and he said, Come unto me, all you that are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There's a rest you can enter into. The rest is the Holy Ghost. Because I'm resting from my labors. I'm not trying anymore, but I can do it through the Spirit of God. There's no striving. There's only rest. Rest for your mind. You know, they said Elvis Presley years ago, when he was just a child, was baptized in Jesus' name by an apostolic preacher who lived just a few miles from his house. And apparently many years later, when he had become famous, he went into an apostolic camp meeting at the, in the same state in Oklahoma. I, I believe it was in Oklahoma, and was filled with the Holy Ghost. And for many years after that, because he wasn't ever really fully discipled, he would try to to get back into that again. But he would do it through hip shaking and other things. He thought it was just, he didn't understand what it really was. But I can tell you, there's nothing like the Holy Ghost. The world hasn't got anything on us. No drug, no alcoholic drink, nothing compares to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. It's better than anything you've ever tasted before. It is the best Heaven offers. The world offers a lot of things, but heaven offers something to you, and it's nigh unto you. It's not far out there. You can have it today. You can have it in your life to be in church even. You can have it in your car. You can get it in your car. You can get it in your, in your bedroom tonight when you go home to pray. You can get it in the morning. You can get it if you're listening online. You can receive it right now. It's nigh unto you. It's in your mouth, in your heart. It's in your face. There's a lot of preachers that have said, well, you know, we're not saved by works. So, you know, speaking in tongues is not necessary. The Holy Ghost speaking in tongues is not a work of the flesh. 
And it's not a work of the law. They never did it under the law. Nobody ever spoke in tongues until Acts chapter 2. So it cannot be a work of the law. And it sure ain't a work of the flesh. So if the devil didn't give it and the world didn't give it, that means there's only one possibility left. It came from heaven. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Hallelujah. It's the Holy Ghost. You know, the, one of the most awesome things that I, that I love whenever you read the book of Acts, and I know I'm almost out of time, is well, whenever you read the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15, and, and you know the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son goes out, takes his inheritance, squanders it with riotous living, comes back, who knows, many years later, and he's rehearsing this little speech. And the speech is, you know, I don't know, it went something like this. I've sinned greatly. I'm not worthy to be called your son. So just make me as one of your hired servants. Now he really thinks that the father is angry at him. He thinks that the father is, is holding this grudge against him. And he's just going to put him out there feeding the pigs. But at least he'll be able to eat. Something besides the pig slop he was eating before. But somewhere from a distance, he sees an old gray-haired man running with all his might and a little crop of dust behind that old man. And whenever that old man becomes, you know, becomes just with an eye shot, that young man realizes, that's my father. And I think at that point, that young man dropped everything he had and he ran to that father just as quickly as he could. And the Bible says this, the father fell on him. It means he put his arms around him. He hugged him close. He pulled him close to his breast and said, this my son was dead, but now is alive. And this my son was poor, but now he is rich. So put a ring on his hand and put shoes on his feet and put a robe on his back and let's kill the fatted calf. And they celebrated. And when you get to the book of Acts chapter 10, and whenever Peter goes into, or rather Cornelius goes into the house, sorry, as Peter goes into the house of Cornelius and he begins to preach to Cornelius the death, burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. God could not wait until he was, but the father looked and saw that Gentiles were coming from a distance and he said, I remember that they're still the sons of Adam. And the Bible says, while Peter yet spake these words, God could not even wait. The Holy Ghost fell on them. That means the father came running down that dusty road and threw his arms around Cornelius and said welcome home you're not poor anymore you're not a pauper anymore but you are one with the household of Israel that's what being filled with the spirit is it's a great big God hug there's nothing like a hug when you've had a bad day hug you know come home to your wife she hugs you it kind of melts all your troubles away. But you ever had a God hug? There's nothing like a God hug. That's what the Holy Ghost is. When the Holy Ghost falls on us, it's God putting his arms around us and giving us a big hug. Amen. And lastly, I close in this. Every infilling of the Spirit, every spirit birth is unique. Just like every baby is unique, there's always a story to tell. Every person 
has their story to tell the night they got the Holy Ghost. How many remember, how many that have the Holy Ghost, how many remember the night you got it or the morning you had it? You'll never forget it. If you forget it, you didn't get it. (laughs) If you forgot it, you didn't get it. Get it again, and then you won't forget it. I was 10 years old, and because I had a very broken past, I had a lot of shame. And so they said, God is your father. And I was like, okay, so dad leaves us. <laughs> That's like, that was my, I, didn't, I couldn't correlate with that. So, you know, the, the long, long story short, the conviction of God came over me. We were driving up the, uh, the Great River Road in Grafton. There's this river road, 17 miles between Grafton, Illinois, and between East Alton, Illinois. And it's 17-mile stretch. It's a beautiful drive. Uh, bluffs on one side and the Mississippi River on the other just gorgeous. There's a bike trail. It, it's just really a wonderful drive. But the conviction of God got a hold of me. At 10 years old, I reached, looked over at my mom, and I said, Mom, I want to get dunked. She was like, you want to get what? And she asked, uh, that, I remember that's exactly what I said. God began to convict me at 10 years old. and I'll, I'll, She had taken us to church when we were kids. That Sunday school, Sunday school lessons. I remember my, my Sunday school teacher teaching a lesson called Crocodile Tears, and she taught about repentance. I still remember it. Sister Darlene Hare. Sunday school teachers, you might not think those kids are listening. But one day, that seed you sowed, it's going to begin to grow. And it's, it's because you're planting a seed. And so for me, it was, I was five, six years old when I got that lesson. But that lesson began to take fruit in my life five years later. And I looked over at my mom and I said, Mom, I want to get dunked. And she figured out I was meant baptized. She took me to church. Got baptized by Pastor Robert Rose, and I began to seek for the Holy Ghost. How many remember the days of seeking for the Holy Ghost? I would seek, and I would pray. Those were the days you either, when you sought for the Holy Ghost, you had, you either going to get it, or you were going to get shaken out of you, sin shaken out of you. I and mean, it was, you know, that's, that's what it was. It was shake him, shake him, shake him, Lord. It was long altar calls, 45-minute altar calls. How many remember those? Seeking God for the Holy Ghost, stammering lips. I had it. And I would pray so hard that I would break out in hives. I kid you not. I was 10 years old. And I just could not get it. For three months, I prayed. Every night when we go to church, I would say, this is the night God's going to fill me with the Holy Ghost. i never forget it. One day, it was the last night of revival, Sister Messer. She could hardly walk. She was, a, she was an evangelist, traveled the world, had, had won many people to the Lord. And, you know, and I don't even remember what the message was that night, but Sister Rose came to me. That was our pastor's wife. And she said, Billy, yeah, she called me Billy, said, whenever you pray, just relax. That's all you have to do and worship God. And so in my mind, I had like four or five phrases I had built up to say because I didn't know how to pray. You know, thank you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. God is good. And then there was like one more. <laughs> Ten years old. I had no idea how to pray. But, and you know what? 45 minutes to an hour, altar call every night. We had, it was a two-week revival. Every night we prayed. Every night I prayed. for Every night the church gathered around where they prayed. My friend of mine who was, who was with me, he was 10 years old also. His name was Chris. He got it before I did. I wasn't real happy about that. So I thought, man, I got to get it because he can't have it without me. (laughs) I don't know if my motivation was right or not, but God knew my heart at least. In the last night of revival, she said, get 
gather around in a circle and pray for the person to your right. And to my left was this old prayer warrior in our church named Sister Short. And she grabbed my hand, and I remember what Sister Rose had told me, just worship God and don't even, don't even worry about it. I lifted my hands, and in 20 seconds, I was speaking in tongues. That's how easy it is. You can start playing. Now, here's, here's what I want you to remember. You don't have to be a child to get the Holy Ghost, but you have to have faith like a child. And that's why a lot of people don't get it. Because if you try to figure it out theologically, look at the Greek and Hebrew and look at all these things. No, no, no. Just run to the Father tonight. Just run to him. Forget about all the naysayers. Forget about everything you've been taught. Forget about all things. Lift up your hands and say, God, I know you got something good for me. God, I know you're my father. God, I know you want to fill me tonight. God, I know you're a good God. I know you're Lord. I believe it. And with your mouth, you will start to speak in a language that God wants to hear. God wants to hear your voice, just like that newborn baby. Let's stand. You know, there's nothing like, like a newborn baby being born. You're firstborn. Whenever Luke was born, I picked him up and I, you know, and I wrapped him up in that in that little cloth. And he was it was so special and such a unique moment in my life, even though he was crying. And you know what? What must God feel whenever somebody is born of the Spirit, whenever somebody is reconnected back to God again, somebody that's never had the Holy Ghost or has never experienced it or has been away from a long, long time. Let me tell you, friend, wherever you're at, if you're here or watching it online, the salvation of God is near you right now. It's in your car. It's in your place where you're listening to this right now. It is near you. It is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. If you will believe, you can receive tonight. Let's lift our hands. Oh, come on. Let your voices out for a moment here tonight. It's the goodness of God that fills us with the Holy Ghost. Oh, I feel the Holy Ghost falling in this place right now. Come on. Let your voices out right now. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Oh, come on. Let's come down. Let's have a place to if you've never received the Holy Ghost, you can receive it tonight. And come on, get out of your chairs tonight. Let's find a place to talk to God. Let God bless your heart tonight.